Hi, Salam, this is Fazana Khan, and today we'll be mapping creativity on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix not only reminds us to stop and assess, but it suggests the relevance of three very important factors in our care, recommendations, and outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all the things we do, all the things our clients and patients do each and every day, they matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Farzana Khan. Farzana is the executive director and co-founder of Healing Justice London, HJL. Her practice works on building community health, repair, and self-transformation rooted in disability justice, survivor work, and trauma-informed practice working with communities of color and other marginalized and underrepresented groups. Farzana has over 10 years of background in youth and community work, particularly focused on arts-based education projects, both in the UK and internationally. She is a co-founder of Resourcing Racial Justice, and Farzana is also a fellow at the International Curatorial Forum. Her recent curatorial practice and art includes launching the Black Cultural Black Activism Map and All Water Has Perfect Memory, writing on climate and gender justice and generational trauma and memory. Farzana, I'm so pleased to have you joining us here on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You have such an interesting set of experiences weaving together creativity, art, injustice, trauma, and healing. Can you start us off by speaking into the role of creativity in the healing journey? That's a great question. Thank you for starting with that. Um, (laughs) It's a big one, right? a big one and there's so many ways to explore it. I think often when we discuss healing and creativity, it tends to be discussed in a cathartic sense, Mm. uh, which is is very true and relevant and appropriate. And, but when I think about anti-oppression work and liberation, what I'm excited about and curious about is the imagination um, that healing work opens up and activates. We know that those that are marginalized, that are experiencing trauma, often have to exist in ways outside of the mainstream, whether it's in the context of state violence, those that live outside of the state who aren't recognized by the state often are finding ways to navigate it to survive, which requires a degree of genius, a 
requires a degree of creativity. And so often you see, you know, those phrases like the the adult artist is the child who survived. Mm. Um, And so there's definitely that aspect of who can show us what we need to know um, and, and has the skill of the imagination. But I think in this moment in time, where we're going through a global unmasking of structures of oppression from Me Too to Black Lives Matter to COVID. And there's such an unmasking that's taking place whilst also a a need and a desire to dream and vision. And what we see when we work with the healing sciences and we work with our own capacity to heal um, is also to open and activate the ability to dream and vision um, beyond what is our context, what is our um, environment. So I see this a, a lot of the times when we are in oppressive dynamics, we struggle to imagine beyond our context. And sometimes that's a survival mechanism to really localize. And actually, when we are our most liberated self, when we are able to embrace change and transformation, it is also the trust in the spaces that we are imagining, that we are calling in, that we are looking towards. And so I think... The imagination is, is so key to being able to take those leaps of faith towards oneself, but also in terms of, you know, doing healing work because so much of it is in the unseen and it's, you know, trauma is unseen and seen. But um, and so you really have to it re- really requires an imagination and a deep trust with that imagination. So I think there's multiple functions for healing collectively and also on an individual level that the imagination offers us and continues to open up for us as well if mm. we invest in it and we we exercise the muscle of the imagination because it definitely is a muscle. Right. There's so much in what you just said from the get-go, Farzana, that just gave me chills. And I think it's because it's sort of a rewriting of the notion of creativity at First, I was thinking, is creativity a privilege that we have? And what you just said flips that on its head because what we're recognizing is that survival in itself is a creative process that we as healers or practitioners can recognize and reflect to the communities or the individuals that we're serving And you mentioned the words cathartic, you know, it's a process, but it's a muscle that may have been or be activated in those that are surviving really any kind of injustice, whether it is a myriad of things culturally or even in the body, the injustices that we experience. So that idea of imagining, dreaming, visioning, What I love about it is that it actually is a process. And I think we often forget that healing, survival, those are processes too. And so when we tap into that muscle, we welcome the journey of healing. Absolutely. And I think this is what is, you know, so profound, you know, when we think about about this moment in time where so many of us are engaging with you know, healing practices. It's also remembering and reviving traditions. Colonialism and patriarchy have like dismembered from our, you know, our psyche, from our ability to, to, from our culture, from, 
you know, how we, we move and um, exist in the world. And there's something so profound in remembering that in the conversations around mental health, that, you know, there are these liminal spaces that don't fit into the Eurocentric modalities of knowledge, which is cause and effect. But there are these spaces that are the the imaginaries, the unseen, the visionary spaces. And and I think when you have a process-led effect, it, it really is a, a trust in the unseen. It's a trust in that which has not manifested yet. And so it feels it feels really important when we talk about mental health to also remember that a lot of the the artists and um, the visionaries were often seen as as mad or you know you know called terrorists or not understood or imprisoned um, because the visions that they held for justice the convictions not all but we have seen it enough um, that. Um, you know, there was they they sat outside of the cultural norms or the societal norms, and often were tapping into something outside of it. And I think we're in this moment in time where, because we are accessing and opening up to what our internal landscapes are beyond just the mind, the I think, therefore I am. Um, we're also realizing, you know, a lot of the uh, ways that we might diagnose someone with a psychosis or a mental health condition are also, as part of humanizing the person, it's not just a sickness or a failure of some some kind, but but part of somebody's uh, life and emotional range um, without romanticizing or fetishizing, you know, some of the really hard and difficult aspects of, of mental ill health too. And this is so important for mental health as well as physiological so the psychological and the physiological and what you're saying is really touching me personally as a practitioner and as somebody who teaches practitioners because I think that we've gotten into this realm that causal realm you're talking about as practitioners and so we're constantly looking for the x for y and my drumbeat is constantly always that it isn't an X for Y, that we have to be in this journey. And what some people may or may not know about me is that my undergraduate degree is in fine art and design. So I think like an artist, and it's hard to bring that artistic thinking to our work as healers, but what you're allowing us to do is embrace the importance of the journey and get out of the thinking that we're stuck in in today's day and age. And I think one of the, you know, there's a, a profound book um, that I recommend everyone reading. It's by Christina Sharp, who wrote In the Wake on blackness and being. Mm. One of the, the concepts that Christina explores in this is wake work. So it's looking at what it means to be honest about living in the wake of enslavement mm. and diaspora um, of colonialism and and so often you know what her, what the work is re- speaking to is how do you imagine from a space where you're also being and live and thrive in, in a space where you're also uh, being honest that you're still in it like you're not outside of it it hasn't ended and I think this is one of the things whether it's a physical condition chronic condition or disability or sickness 
or a mental health one. And so often they both also intersect, right? You know, you, you live with sickness. It's not just this thing that is like a compartmentalized part of you, even though the medical systems often try and treat it that way. And I think that this is, I really appreciate and I'm, I'm committed to the, to, to what becomes possible when we live with the honesty of our realities. And you know, as someone who also lives with chronic sickness, the way that I talk about my condition is that it's something I live with. It's not that I have this thing. Right. It's something that I live with and it informs me, informs my reality in good and bad ways. Yes. Right? Meaningful and, you know, challenging ways. And so I think that that being in the wake, being able to hold the reality of your context as well as the contexts that create your current reality was also it enables us to then live the most optimum life that we can live because it's a space of authenticity it's like this is the most potentialized life i can have because i am honest and having an authentic relationship with my reality and no part of me is repressed or shut down or isolated or compartmentalized so it's my existence in its fullness and I think this is what this kind of process approach also allows and I really wanted to honor Christina's work and the yes. wake work in this conversation because it's that that I think is is um, coming to fruition right now and we'll be sure to link to of course your work but also her work in the book and the show notes if we're thinking through the lens of healers and practitioners working with people how do we invite the awareness of creativity as a ingredient in the healing journey i think it's innate within all of us mm-hmm. like and, and I think about it in a spiritual term, in, in terms. Um, so, you know, when I think about equity and our, our the conversation our lives are having with the universe, with the ecosystem, the cosmologies that we're part of, we receive from our environments and we all create. And some of us birth ideas, some of us birth new ways of being, but we're all in processes of creating, um, which includes creating ourselves. And... Some of us might have a craft, we might have a particular mastery of something um, or a discipline, but we're all in processes of creating. And I think that that's part of our the way that we're duty-bound. Each soul is duty-bound to create something. Um, and I think that all of us have that potential within us. What we have seen is the, the knowledge systems, Eurocentric knowledge systems, deprioritized that art was seen as the communities that had you know um engaged in cultural practices that were also sites of knowledge so you know song was also rites of passage dance movements for how you process grief and and the kind of key stages of life storytelling different ways that art was prominent but that was seen as primitive um, and that was not seen as a lesser form of how one comes to know and there was a, a really strong effort of totalizing reason, rationality. And so when we understand the, the relationship to how art has been seen and, and, and strategically taken away right. from us and our ability to access it, we, can, we have to hold that context and reality. 
but also what then nurtures creativity. You know, we, we always, you know, we'll say children are really creative. They're often really engaged with those things. And then we go through these schooling systems and, and other forms of, of societal kind of behavioral engineering that then means that, you know, creativity isn't uh, valued unless it's in service of capitalism. Um, and so I think that what the healing processes open up are spaces to re-engage with oneself. Mm. Um, you know, one's voice, one's expression, one's safety in one's body to be able to move and to be mo- to move um, without being productive, to sing um, or to articulate something without it being productive. And I think that when we support and equip one another to be safe in one's body, I trust that our natural inclinations is to then be creative with it. So I don't think we have to be tasked with making sure everyone is being creative. I think if the imperative is how does one get to be safe in one's body, how does one feel resourced, how does one feel that they have the capacity to explore, and I really tie safety into creativity because creativity is a leap into the unknown. It's making something where there is nothing. And so acts of creativity require, as I said earlier, trust, um, but also risk and vulnerability. And so as practitioners, ways in which we cultivate safety primarily in the body and also structurally enables more of us to practice creativity without shame, without being destabilized, and with capacity. And that's going to look like different things for different practitioners um, across the different disciplines that access this this um, space. Yeah, beautifully said, Farzana. I, I really am touched by the entire conversation and how eloquent you're able to speak into these deep connections between creativity, expression, healing, and all that can come from tapping into that innate sense of our reality. Are there any final words you want to share with practitioners about creativity that we haven't touched on? I think the word that I've used the most in this call in this conversation has been trust mm-hmm. and I, um, it's a word that I'm definitely working with a lot and I think in this political moment where we're trying to build more trust across communities trust in our own bodies as we navigate COVID trust in our across different solidarities I think that there is something about the call for practitioners to think about how their work as acts of creativity engenders trust. Mm. And sometimes those are forms of solidarity and allyship that create that trust with your, your patients, your clients, the people you're working with, your communities. And sometimes it's the, the direct way that your practice is honoring the moment and working with the moment or honoring the person And I really am thinking about what brings us closer through working and generating trust. And I think that then activates the spaces for creativity 
um, and for people to do creativity on their own time. It's really about dislodging the savior complex and actually um, moving into creating equity where people are able to create for themselves but have the resources, skills and capacity to be able to do that. So trust is where I'm going to leave it. Brilliant. Bravo. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for joining us, Farzana. Thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix team features music by Gilbert Nakayama with production support from Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook, and podcast production, sound editing, and mixing by Rowan Bradley. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Plus, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts, your feedback, who you'd like to hear on the next podcast. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.